Welcome to the Investing Evolution Podcast with Vince Esposito and Rob Isbitz from SunGarden Investment Research. We are an investment firm that takes an alternative approach to the most common investor objectives, preservation, income, and long-term growth. We focus on bottom line outcomes, not what everyone else is doing. In this podcast, we clarify confusing investor issues, bust investment myths, and discuss how to invest in any investment climate. Our number one goal is to help you think about investing in a different way, a more straightforward way, without all the fluff and sales tactics of the Wall Street culture. Listen in as we share stories and insights on how to offer a truly unique approach to investing. Now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Investing Evolution podcast with me, Vince Esposito, and Rob Isbitz. And today we're going to be talking about nine words for 2019 that all begin with the letter T. Rob, take it away. All right. Terrific. And if you want to see the written version of this, uh, thestreet.com. This is based on an article that came out on the 10th of January. And uh, we we put a lot of stuff out on thestreet.com and uh, forbes.com as well. So you never have to go too far to read what we're thinking. Uh, let's start with the first one. Uh, if you look back 2018 and into 2019, I mean, last year was quite a trip. The first uh, bear market in stocks we've had in a decade and a continuation of a bond bear market, which we believe started in the summer of 2016. It's a lot more subtle than the stock market because uh, bonds don't tend to fluctuate in price that much, although they could. And uh, so as we went through, uh, it seemed like uh, going into 2019, uh, there were a lot of T's and I guess we better cross them here. Let's so let's it. let's start with word number one, which is tariffs. It is the current market obsession. And perhaps by the time this podcast airs, maybe it'll be less so. But it's not one of those things that goes away quickly. You can't just take tariffs off or put them back on and have everything just realign in a heartbeat. There have been decades of disagreements about this. Uh, with uh, the U.S., with China, with Asia, with Europe, just about everywhere else in the developed world. And they've gotten to a higher level now for a lot of reasons. And there should be some resolution this year. That should cause markets to react one way or the other way, but probably in both directions. Yeah, agreed, Rob. It, it's, it is an obsession. I mean, every I think every day I'll read some sort of an article or see a headline about the tariffs and I agree it's going to move markets once it gets resolved. But what's interesting is I think in the interim, it seems like it's been around for a while and we've heard so much about it that in particular, the tariff thing isn't moving markets as much as it did even a month ago. So I think until we get a resolution, I don't necessarily agree that we see big movements from the whole tariff situation until we figure out what the heck is going to happen at the end here. Yeah, I, th I think you've got a good point. Uh, the it's, it's like with a lot of things in the markets and also sort of psychologically uh, in, in life, where yeah. the initial reaction to something is exaggerated and then it calms down. You know, I guess all I'm saying is that it, I would expect it to exaggerate again as more tangible information is available. OK, 
Okay. So yep. there's another T word, tangible, though it has Ooh, nothing to do with this nice. discussion. Okay, <laughs> moving on. What's next? Uh, treasuries is our next T word. Okay. Well, the only reason that the bond market is not a, a bigger headline, at least as 2018 ended, is because the stock market was grabbing all the attention. Yeah. And once the stock bear market becomes more mature, and by the way, as a little timeout here, okay, right? We used to do it with our kids, put them in timeout. When the uh, stock market falls hard and then it starts to come back just as fast, that doesn't mean the bear market's over. It also doesn't mean that it's going to continue. Uh, you know, at SunGarden, what we constantly think about in terms of any market movement, and as our listeners and clients know, we spend a lot of time looking at price patterns. Yes, we do. You know, there are two types of bottoms, V and U, at least generally speaking. Uh, think about how a U is shaped different from a V. A V is straight down, straight back up. And that is very often what happens these days because information flows so quickly and every move gets exaggerated, kind of like we talked about a few minutes ago. So the stock market has uh, made you know sort of a V recovery as of this recording, but this really just kind of ushers in a volatile period for stocks. Now, what about treasuries? That's the T we're talking about here. There's a lot of different ways that this can go. Treasuries are the flight to quality for bond investors. And especially now, we really do distinguish between an issuing entity, i.e. the U.S. Treasury, that can print more money and issue more bonds whenever it wants, as opposed to a corporation, many of which have a ton of debt right now, just like consumers do. So the U.S. government can print money and push their problems out into the future. And as long as the market doesn't care about it, and the market has not really cared about it the last several no. years as U.S. debt has, has gone through the roof. So, so this is going to make treasuries a very interesting asset class to watch. Uh, we have bigger concerns about what they call the credit part of the bond market, things that rely on the credit worthiness of a country and not uh, one of the biggest economic powers out there, us. U.S., but treasuries at the same time, you know, you've had this, uh, what, eight, nine, 10 year period where at the shorter end of the bond market, T-bills, short term treasuries, you had no yield. And now all of a sudden there's some yield. So there's a lot of cross currents in the treasury market. But what we shouldn't put our hat on is that all of a sudden treasuries are going to be this great, amazing investment for the next several years. They're a good additional source of hedging for folks like us right now, as opposed to just shorting the stock market, which is kind of our staple. Yep. One thing I found interesting about treasuries, Robin, it was right after you wrote this article, Fed Chairman Powell came out with his own little comments about being concerned, or you know, said he was concerned or very worried about the growing U.S. debt. And I, it was right around the, the time this came out. And I, I just, I found it interesting because I think it's one of those, another one of those things that it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. And then all of a sudden you wake up one day and oh my gosh, it matters. So while we do like treasury, certain treasuries at this point, we've used them in our portfolios for the first time in a long time. I agree with you. I think it, it bears watching. We need to keep a real close eye on this situation. Uh, I would summarize it as uh, uh, you know, your blood pressure can be consistently elevated 
for a long, long time. And it may not matter, mm-hmm. but at some point it will. And when it does, yep. then it really does. Your, your, your body, <laughs> your life, your world goes into shock. And obviously yep. we don't wish that on anybody, uh, yep. but this does have a corollary in investing. It really does. Yep. Investing is like that too. And then it was a constantly, I mean, in my writing and your discussions with our, uh, with our clients and friends, the whole idea of avoiding the element of surprise. Don't create your yep. own surprises, right? Yep. There's got to be a sports analogy in there somewhere, no? Uh, give, me, give me some time. We probably got 15 <laughs> minutes left. Okay. Right, so let's move on to the next T. And that next T word is traders. Traders. Yep. yep. I assume I have a lot of company in this regard. Uh, you know, in the first 25 years, I would say, of the 32 years I've been in this business, and you've been in it 20 something yourself, right? Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. See the gray uh, in my beard? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. We learned about how stock market investing was supposed to work, and now it's completely evolved. One reason we call our place the investing evolution is because you can't just sit there and say, well, investing is going to go back to the way it used to be, blah, blah, blah. There was a report that JP Morgan came out with a couple of years ago, and it really was earth shattering to those of us who spend our lives and careers trying to figure out how to stay ahead of the curve when it comes to what works in markets. And the JP Morgan report said that 90% of the daily trading volume for the stock market is driven by entities that don't really care about what they're investing in. And to some degree, that's ETFs, it's hedge funds, it's high frequency traders. And you can sit there on your high horse and say, well, at the end of the day, you know, earnings drive stock prices and uh, fundamentals or everything. Tell that to somebody who sees the S&P 500 fall by 16% in three weeks like it did in December. And just because it recovers one time doesn't mean it won't double down the next time or triple down. And we don't try to sit here and outright predict what's going to happen, but we do try to size up what the range of possibilities are. And one of the things I think we've realized, and we knew this a long time ago, both of us independently, and then when we joined forces some years ago, that just wishing and hoping that the stock market goes up or the bond market goes up, that's not an investment strategy. And you need to be prepared to kind of operate on both sides, not because you love to, but because the end mission is an objective that the investor has. And if that objective is anything other than I have five to 10 years and I want to make what the S&P 500 or the Dow is making. Uh, If it's anything other than that, then there has to be some risk management involved. and, uh, and, And part of managing risk is knowing who is around you in the arena. And, and, and there's a lot of different players in the arena now. Yeah, that's a good call, Rob. And as far as risk management goes, I mean, I, I almost equate it to an instrument panel on a plane, right? If you're the guy flying the plane and nine out of your 10 instruments tell you there's a storm ahead, and I mean, you got to do something as the guy that's in charge of, you know, all the people that are, that are on your plane. I mean, you're not just going to fly right into the storm if you don't have to. And I think back in the day when we both started in the business, and for me, it's actually been 25 years 
now that I think about it. And for you, it's what, 32? 32, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you start in the business the next year, the market crashes, 1987. Uh, and I was a young, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I was a young advisor in the 90s and then saw everything come crashing down in 2000. And that was back in the day when it was like, yeah, don't worry about it. It's just, you know, it happens and just hang in there. Everything's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. And I just don't think that's the way to do it today. And it, and it doesn't really make for a great investor experience either. So, and, and as a little side note, you know, the older you get, the less you start to realize how relevant things aren't to people that are younger than you. So you and I have the war stories, right? Yeah. And we are fortunate enough as our firm uh, continues to grow that we recruit, especially younger professionals. I mean, other financial advisors too that want to join our practice. We're always looking for that. But uh, youngst, the, the young folks, the analytic types, the sales uh, marketing types, they have spent the last 10 years of their career thinking, well, there's nothing really going on. And maybe their career didn't start 10 years ago. They were in school. So mm -hmm. it's it's hard to picture. In fact, we have a couple of folks on our team and I, you know, the younger ones. And I said to them, you know, one day you're going to go through your first bear market. And I yeah. told them all one about day. it and you did too. And uh, then all of a sudden it hits. It's kind of like, hey, you know, and they're yeah. wondering, why are you guys so calm in the midst of all this? Well, part of it is the process. We're long, short investors. We're, we hedge uh, for a living and we target client objectives. So we don't have to worry about what the market is doing, you know, this particular uh, month or year, because we're not going to give people the range of returns that, that the stock market's going to. Uh, yeah. But it's, it's something that the younger people that we come in contact with, I think we both really enjoy explaining to them that there's a wider variety than the, what they've just seen. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So let's move on in the interest of time, Rob, let's yeah. move on to our next T word and that is technology. Yep. Well, this is a, a quick one. Yeah. Right? And I just, before you go into your, your, I just would like to make a quick comment because I've been having a lot of conversations with clients, current clients and with prospective clients over the last couple of weeks in light of, what happened to the tech sector in December. And I think what I've been hearing from a lot of people is that their portfolio is a lot more aggressive than they originally thought it was. Yes. And so something to, to definitely keep an eye on. I mean, we're happy to help folks go through that exercise to figure out how their portfolio is positioned basically yeah, on their goals and their risk tolerance and all that fun stuff, because it's when it hits the fan, like it did in December, I think that's a good test of not only your, how your portfolio is set up, but how you feel and how comfortable you are with the way it's currently set up. Yeah. That, I, I, I think you're spot on with that. And it also reminds me of an article uh, that uh, I published recently in Forbes.com. The title was December was a crash test. Don't be a dummy. And I certainly don't mean <laughs> yeah. any ill will toward anybody with that, but it really was a crash test. And I think what investors need to make sure they are not doing, and I put this in writing all the time, but here we are on the podcast. So here's our chance. Complacency kills. Complacency kills investment portfolios. It kills retirement portfolios. It kills retirement plans. It kills lifestyles. And, mm -hmm. and it just, it has a trickle effect. 
And we have probably entered an era of lower investment returns, which means people need to be more creative. Doesn't have to be the way we do it, but they should right. be examining what they do and ask that very question. Uh, so please, please repeat it because I think you say it better than I do. Well, it's just ask the question or take a step back and look at your portfolio because it may be more aggressive than you originally thought it was. Yeah, that's right. And, and a lot of there is a great test for that. And a lot of that has to do with this latest T word technology. Why? Because the tech sector by reputation is more volatile. It has some terrific companies in it, but the fact is that it is tends to be a market leader. And when earnings dry up for companies, a lot of the leading tech companies keep rolling and that's fine, but there's no such thing as uh, pay any price for a stock or a sector. And so uh, as tech goes, so goes uh, the stock market. And one of the reasons of many, probably a whole podcast, but why the S&P 500 is so misleading as an indicator of the broad market is because so much of it is in technology. And even though technology dominates our lives uh, more than ever, that means that as tech goes, so goes a lot of market and sentiment. And we have to be aware of that. Yep. Great call, Rob. So uh, moving on here, the next T word is tactical. Yes. So when we say tactical, we mean doing things with a long-term purpose in mind, but having to make decisions over shorter periods of time. So typically when we buy a stock at SunGarden, it is with the intention of holding it for three years or more. And we also know that uh, you know, for multiple reasons, uh, they won't all get there. Maybe two thirds of them will get there and that would be great. But then there's a whole other segment of each of our portfolios, which is designed to cushion the blows and uh, have some guardrails in place. And it requires a little bit more activity and we are active managers. So we talked before about all these kind of newfangled trading entities, the, uh, the higher frequency traders, et cetera. And for me, it's just been a matter of shifting the mix toward more tactical investing where we tighten the sell criteria a bit. And uh, it, it can also help with tax efficiency. Again, probably not something that we're going to dive into in this uh, uh, no. podcast. But uh, you know, regardless, second round. Yeah, go so, ahead. And because I think if folks want more color on this, I, we did, didn't we do a whole podcast about thinking in multiple time frames? Yes, we did. Yeah, that's a good one. I think if people want some more color on what we're talking about here, they can go uh, listen to us um, pontificate about thinking in multiple timeframes. Yeah. And and regardless of tax or any other angles, the reality of this is that long-term returns are increasingly accumulated in smaller bites along the way. And it's one way to fight volatility. Yeah. I like that. I like looking at it that way. That's cool. Great. Nice. So next T word is technicals. And this is right in your wheelhouse, Rob. I mean, I love hearing you talk about this stuff and, and especially since, uh, well, I'll let you tell the story. Sure, sure. So my late father, uh, Carl Isbitz, and I know we both had great relationships with our uh, late dads. Um, oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, so he taught me to chart stocks when I was 16 years old. That was many, many years ago. And that skill, I think, has never been more helpful 
than it is now. Uh, we analyze price patterns. We don't just do it casually. I think most people in our business can read a chart. It's another to try to make a science out of it with the express goal of balancing the reward potential and the risk of a major loss for any security group of securities, the market as a whole. And what I find is that when my dad taught me to chart stocks, that would have been like in around 1980. Back then, it was paper and pencil and getting the stock prices out of the newspaper. I used to help him with that. And and back then, technology, I should say a, a technical analysis or charting uh, was thought of as voodoo. And now it's become not only more acceptable in kind of the mainstream, a lot of individual investors doing it, but it drives a lot of today's market movements. You know, you wonder, well, why did the market go up and then all of a sudden stop? Or why did it go down and all of a sudden stop? A lot of times technicals analyzed over multiple timeframes. And that's what a lot of big Wall Street is looking at. And the reason I know is because I see the same thing every day at my desk as a technician. Yeah, I was thinking about that too, Rob. Not only are you know, the big Wall Street firms and, uh, and other money managers and funds looking at a lot of the same technical stuff, but I think you also have all these algorithms programmed to a lot of the same metrics. And so another reason why you know, there's only so many different patterns and, and technical mm-hmm. uh, you know things to look at right so i would imagine that it's an arms race between these algos to figure out which side they want to be on which technical indicator they want to you know follow that week or that month and i think that's a big part of you know getting back to these exaggerated one day or you know yeah three week moves that i think continue into the future and, and if you're Vinny and Robbie in 2019 and beyond, and you want to try to have your own oasis from all that hecticness, mm-hmm. not a word, hecticness. That's a word. That anyway. Okay. <laughs> we'll Google it. Uh, you know, if you, but if you, if you want to have a little uh, oasis or island away from, from all that Uh, the best way to do it is to take the information that everybody else has and develop your own proprietary approach to it. And that is what we have done. And we've done that in multiple ways, not just in technicals. And, uh, you know, some of it's come from your brain and some of it's come from my brain and some of it's come from the brains of other people on the team. And uh, it's a nice little village we have here. Mm -hmm. Okay. Last last three. Let's zip right through them. All right. crank it out here. Yeah. The next one is Trump. Yeah. Yeah. This is not a political podcast, but, uh, and, and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to just summarize quickly what I said in the article here. Hey, love them, hate them, don't care. Doesn't matter when someone can move markets with a tweet or change longstanding dynamics and debates concerning policy, uh, not to mention uh, the the activity in Congress and investigations and all the the catfighting going back and forth. We have to look at this unemotionally and say that is something that can potentially influence the markets. I don't think it has influenced the markets much at all through 2018. Let's see what 2019 brings. And after 2019 comes the next one. Matter of fact, if you don't mind, I'll just dive right into that because these two are sort of a pair. Uh, they're the twin T's. Um, 
you know, politics can always move the market. And there are times uh, where it does more than others. And uh, just remember, the House of Representatives in the U.S. is now in the hands of the Democrats. Uh, just the week that we're recording this, there was uh, obviously a major decision uh, on Brexit. And uh, you've got a lot of people running for president next year from one party. So uh, Washington, D.C., the antics, it's a threat. It's an opportunity, which is another way. Uh, that's how investors say, oh, it's a blessing and a curse. <laughs> nice. <laughs> any right. any comments on politics, Vince? Or are you going to stay out of this uh, one? No, I, I like to stay away from politics, as you know, for the most part. And uh, But we... Look, it's something we have to keep a close eye on as people who are in charge of other folks' life savings. So we certainly keep our finger on the pulse as to what's going on and anything that's market moving, politics it's, or otherwise. It's just another input amongst many inputs, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Okay, yep. last one. All right, the last one is Tool. What uh, did you just call me? Tool? I'm kidding. <laughs> yes, Tool. <laughs> The tool investment tools are are many, especially now. They're everywhere. In fact, I'm I uh, one of my favorite expressions these days is we've never had more information available, and never has less of it been used. A lot of a lot of wasted space on the web. The bottom line is uh, stocks, bonds, cash, commodities. They're just tools to get what you want out of the wealth that you've accumulated. So whatever combination of preservation or income or growth that you seek. These are just the, the tools, the means to the end. So we have everybody for 2019 and well beyond. Keep this T word in mind with the other ones listed here. Investing has clearly changed. It's evolved. It'll continue to. And the good news is it'll create a lot of opportunities for those who evolve with it. And that's what we try to do at Sun Garden and the investing evolution. Yeah. Good call, Rob. Thank you. So that's a wrap for another episode of the Investing Evolution podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. And if you feel so inclined, we would love to have you go to our website and check out our articles that we write for Forbes and Street.com. Sign up for our newsletter. We encourage you to pass on our podcast to your friends and click down at the bottom here to sign up for the podcast. And we'll see you again in another couple of weeks on the other side of the mic. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Investing Evolution podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. Vince Esposito and Rob Isbitz are investment advisor representatives with Dynamic Wealth Advisors, DBA Sungarden Investment Research. All investment advisory services are offered through Dynamic Wealth Advisors. The material in this podcast has been distributed for informational purposes only. The material contained in this podcast is not a solicitation to purchase or sell any security or offer any investment advice. No part of this podcast may be reproduced in any form or referred to in any other publication without expressed written permission. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Vince Esposito and Rob Isbitz are also the sub-advisors of the Dunham Alternative Dividend Fund. Investors should consider the investment objectives, risk factors, charges, and expenses of the Dunham Alternative Dividend Fund carefully before investing. This and other important information is contained within the fund's prospectus, which may be obtained by contacting your financial advisor or by calling toll-free 800-442-4358. Please read prospectus materials carefully before investing.